Hello, welcome to episode six. This is An American in China, the podcast. I'm your host, Paul Crutcher. It's great to have you here. Uh, listeners, you're awesome. Positive comments on the last episode, our interview with Peiao Lu have been greatly appreciated. I have passed those along to her. Thanks again. Today's episode is titled Introspection. So let's pick up the journey once again. It's my first week in Shenzhen. I'm on the southeastern tip of China. Shenzhen, 31 miles north of Hong Kong, just for reference. If you flew south, let's say the distance from New York to LA, that would put you on the northern tip of Australia. If I fly east to the other side of the country, say to Tibet and Mount Everest, that would be a 1,700-mile journey. Uh, there is a high-elevation train that gets close to Everest Base Camp from the China side. Would love to try that someday, but hypoxia is no fun. Oxygen is uh, a valuable resource. Don't get me started on Everest. It's a lifelong dream. Dream. I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but maybe someday. Maybe someday. Uh, I'm staying in a high-rise luxury apartment in the middle of Shenzhen City, close to the bay. The sunset views each evening over the waterfront are spectacular. Uh, the people I meet each day, complete strangers included, are friendly. They often smile. The food is delicious. The green spaces, the parks are gorgeous. I love the vibe of this city. I take daily walks. I see beautiful people every day. Seriously, there are way less unattractive people on the whole in China than in the West. I can't explain it any other way. Uh, I see cute little dogs on walks with their owners in the evening. Everyone's friendly. Oh, and I haven't heard a single siren. Not one. Not a police car. Not an ambulance since I arrived late last week. Not one. And I'm in a bustling center of a huge city. My coworkers are taking care of me. They bring me tea frequently in the office. Tea life is pretty awesome. Bubble tea, herbal tea. Sometimes if I leave my desk area for a minute or two for a meeting, just to walk away and I come back, there's a cup of tea waiting for me. It's a great team of people to be working with. They're helping me plan the rest of the trip. They're also helping me learn how to navigate things like transportation, retail transactions, and other possibilities that might arise. And let me camp there for just a second. Let me brag on uh, two of my life and coworkers uh, for a minute. And first, a quick plug for life and as I haven't really done that yet, L-A-I-F-E. In. Lifen is a highly successful technology company based in Shenzhen. I work for them in Tampa, Florida for our U.S. division, uh, Lifen USA. We're taking over the world with high quality products designed and manufactured with the best technology and highest standards. I am VP for marketing and digital content. It was amazing to see their offices, tour the factory in person. You should check out the Life and Swift high-speed hairdryer. We're featured in People Magazine in June. We got an appearance on the Today Show uh, last month. That was free. That was a free segment. Can you believe it? Uh, you can find Life and underscore tech on social media to see more. The products are top shelf. Let's call this Made in China 2.0. Uh, what I mean by that is that our company leader is passionate about technology, innovation. He's dedicated to making the highest quality products and then pricing them affordably, not just concerned about the dollar, but about equity. Our CEO and his story of growing up in abject poverty is very powerful and went viral the day I landed in China. And the interview with him by a content creator in his offices was seen by more than 50 million people in three days. It was powerful. It was moving, it was emotionally charged, and I'll talk more on that later because that's an important part of our story as we move on. So Levy works in our international sales division. He travels to places across Europe, 
and the Middle East, where our products are in high demand. Levy wrote the official invitation letter for me, so in a way, he's responsible for me while I'm in China. So he's training me each day, I believe, to prepare me for when I'm on my own later in the trip, especially when I'm in Shanghai, one of the world's busiest cities. So, for example, Levy wants me to be able to order food on my phone. Very common, using Alipay, but for me, it's a bit complicated. Uh, it's a huge thing in China, takeout. There are delivery drivers on scooters I can see looking down from my apartment window every single day. They're always coming and going. So Levy's teaching me how to order food or to hail a taxi or DD, their version of Uber. Again, all the instructions on the app on your phone are Chinese characters. It's complicated. Even the confirm or not confirm buttons, yes and no, they're not always in the same spot, depending on the apps. And it's only Chinese characters. So Levy shows me to look for icons, then where to confirm. And I screenshot those things and put little arrows, how to pay for things, how to access. For example, the map that shows you when your driver's approaching. Similar to Uber, I can see the color of the cars. I see the license plate number so I can find and confirm my particular DD or taxi. But once we go through this process of instruction, then Levy hands the phone to me and he says, and I quote, now, Paul, you do it. And he's so gentle with his instructions. And he says, Paul, don't worry. Don't be stressed. You can do it. Uh, it's humbling, but it's, it's so reassuring. And Levy's preparing me for Shanghai and for future travel, and I promise him I'll do the same for him after I write his letter invitation, which I did this week, by the way. And he's coming to America in January to be with our life and team at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. I'll be there to assist him in anything he or the team from China needs because he was so generous helping me. Patrick uh, does the same thing for me. Patrick is a marketing specialist for our company. He spent his high school years in Canada and uh, college in California. He's also preparing me. He and his friend and our coworker, Leo. Now, Leo is our TikTok specialist, an absolutely wonderful guy, super friendly. Leo and I bonded immediately as we're both learning each other's language slowly. So conversations are brief, but the words are meaningful. He's super talented. He's shooting a marketing video while I'm there, and he asks me to be the on-camera host. So we shoot outside our high-rise office complex on the bay. We shoot in uh, multiple offices. We have four floors of the building for life in, in the high-rise building. Uh, then we travel an hour and a half, of course, to Dongguan for the uh, shoot at the brand-new Super Factory. It's closed for the weekend. That's a long shoot, rich experience. I'll tell you more about that later. As we leave the office one evening, Leo and Patrick walk me to the train station. The underground rail system in Shenzhen is super handy, and it's very affordable. It costs me 30 cents USD to get from our offices to the station under my apartment in downtown Shenzhen City. 30 cents. Much less expensive than the DD that I've been taking. But the guys guide me on how to purchase the tokens, how that's applied to my phone. Again, I'm using Alipay for everything where to scan the code, how to get through security to the train terminals, and how to potentially switch trains if I need to. All methodical, very gentle, very helpful. Uh, again, helping me get prepared for the future for travel. Patrick even comes and meets me at the station on my first solo attempt when I'm traveling multiple stops away for a remote work session. Very kind, very generous. Uh, these guys are great to work with. My wife, who is a math professor, loves to talk about order of operations. It's a math thing. And really, it's what I was working through in this completely unfamiliar world. Order of operations. Methods. Systems. 
processes and you check yourself and you talk to yourself a lot. <laughs> and here's the thing. Can I quote George Washington in Hamilton, the musical? Uh, can I be real a second for just a millisecond? Tell the people how I feel a second? Here comes a general. But let me go off script for a second and talk about vulnerability. Because there is so much self-talk. You are in your uh, own headspace frequently. Because very few people speak your language. For me, outside of the office, no one. Uh, so commu communication is almost zero. Uh, I can't call anybody at home. I have no U.S.-based social media. And it's a reminder that we're consumers. I, I long to be a producer in a consumer world, but we consume. I consume. We all consume. Consume every day. Doom scroll. Scroll, scroll, scroll. And maybe that's what I'm describing for you. Maybe that's the passapartout, the skeleton key, the master key, the pick that unlocks all of this. Just less consumption, maybe. So what am I doing in China when I'm not at the office? I'm journaling. I'm writing. I'm reading. I'm meditating. I'm learning. I'm literally learning something new every day. And what happens is you get in your own head to the highest degree. Self-reflection times a thousand. And something starts to happen to me as these days pass. Um, call it deep introspection. Call it self-revelation. But it's, it's, it seems to me, at least, deeply spiritual on a level that I've never felt before in my entire life. And this is where it becomes more than a, a podcast to me. Thanks for letting me go deep with this. Maybe this is something I need to do. But just a quick background for me for religion. My father was a pastor for 50 years, Baptist minister, church in a building with a steeple and pews and a choir loft and little rubber gaskets where you put your communion cup. Most of my young life, I was always in church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, I once dropped a box of lemon heads and little hard candies rolled down the wooden floor like marbles to where my pastor dad was standing giving a sermon. It was not a great day. Oh, don't fight in church. That was the worst. That was bad. That was uh, a belt or paddle. Uh, I sang in the choirs. I was on the youth drama teams. I went to church camp every summer. That's where I saw my first half-naked girl. You never forget that. I also felt the presence of a higher power when I sat around a campfire singing songs with the other kids as a hippie played guitar. It was magical. Seriously, that was like origins of faith and a half-naked girl. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you don't forget those things. Uh, my siblings, all Christ followers, I know my two sisters were interceding for me as I was traveling. They were praying. I take comfort in that. Um... You know, I went away from that as a as a uh, as a young man, but came back as a youth minister. As an adult, I was in music ministry. I played piano. I played guitar and bass, and then did homeless ministry as an adult. I wrote a book in the '90s called "Someone Somewhere Needs You," and they're closer than they appear. Where I talk about some of the experiences that my family was involved in. I don't know if one copy still exists. I hope it does. Uh, then religion and arrogance and cancer and life, possibly Reddit, 
killed any desire for me to be in a church with walls, a building church. I just couldn't do it anymore. It all felt pretend, structured, packaged, clean, pretty, programmed and controlled. So for example, homeless ministry is messy. You come home from a trip, you smell like BO and cigarettes and alcohol. But you've tried to give some people back their dignity for a few days. You've seen a man under a bridge laying on a piece of cardboard with no worth in his words. And he comes back to your camp. He sleeps in a bed with a pillow under a 50-man tent in safety for a night because a homeless person might get stabbed at the mission or arrested under a bridge. He gets a shower and a haircut and some new socks and a toothbrush, and he sits next to you for a day or two. And you have these meaningful conversations with him day and night. You realize he was once a well-paid executive who had an addiction and how this could be you if you'd made a few more dumb decisions. Which reminds me, we have no right to brag about how big our salary might be or how much the house sold for, the price of my new kicks, or the money I throw away on Starbucks twice a day. Right? So coming back to a church setting and knowing what the streets look like, that was difficult. It's hard to justify, especially when I'm on a church staff and a homeless man comes to the office door and the senior guy tells me, and I quote, just get rid of him. Get rid of him. I'm studying for my sermon on Sunday. Just get rid of him. You see why I couldn't do this anymore? That was soul crushing. And then you see people you love die. You see a brother-in-law, former college football player, strong, wither away with cancer and pass away. You watch your pastor get cancer and pass away. You see children get cancer. We have a sick child in our family right now undergoing chemo. You see people brag because God healed their kid. But the other people who lost their child, who had just as much faith, ah, oh, I can't do that. Rock me to the core. Hearing people rejoice that sinners might potentially spend eternity burning in hell. Sort of wishing that on people? Seriously? Reading scholars who clearly show where the canon we hold up as holy was deeply manipulated to control behavior? That's right. If we scare them, they won't miss an offering. Let's scare the hell into them. That'll do it. Following biblical scholars like my good buddy Tom, who knows it backwards and forwards, others seeing the origins of the bastardized religion, the manipulated texts. Okay, if I tell my son I love him, I really love him. I want him to love me. But if he chooses not to love me, I'm not only going to set him on fire, but I'll burn that fire for all eternity. Right? I mean, that's kind of the deal. That entity is worse than any Hitler character we could construct here. I want nothing to do with that if that's reality. And now the church is a politicized weapon? I promise I heard yesterday a pastor who was confronted by a church member last week, last week, saying, why are you putting liberal talking points in your sermons? That was the question. He said, sir, that was the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Those are not liberal talking points. It was the Sermon on the Damn Mount. And the parishioner said, well, it sounded weak. Uh, that was last week. Come on, man. I mean, what are we doing, American church? What are we doing? But through all of this, all the crap, all the doubt, being shunned, or labeled as a heretic, if you haven't had that opportunity <laughs> to be labeled as a heretic, uh, I have found this deep sense of spiritual wellness and realness. 
Honesty. Let's call it transparency with my creator. No pretense, no bullshit. And I think it's healthier. And honestly, I feel more at spiritual peace now than any moment I was ever pretending to be in in a church with brick and mortar. And I was on the platform for much of that. How are you, sir? Blessed. How are you? Blessed. We're all blessed. Can't do that anymore. I have a beautiful daughter who's transgender. She's getting married soon. I love her deeply. I'm so happy she's found peace in her life. Could I share that freely in the brick and mortar place with the steeple? In China, as I move in and out of each day, as I spend so much time in introspection and meditation, something starts to spark in me. And it's not like anything I've ever felt before. At home, it becomes this leading, guiding presence for me. It's like I'm in a swamp with Yoda and he's teaching me how to use the force. Seriously. It takes the entirety of my trip to develop, but it gets stronger each day. Uh, it's amazing and incredible. It's all the big descriptive words. Is it God? Probably, but it's not familiar. And to be clear, I've felt the leading of our understanding of a Western God on many occasions in powerful ways. Multiple times. Is it something much deeper that I can't identify from my Western mindset rooted in ancient Chinese traditions or spirituality? Possibly. Probably. Can I be so naive not to think that there's a deeply rooted, peaceful presence, regardless of what label I want to put on it, that directs our path when we least expect it on the other side of the world? Do I have to package it and put an, a label on it like I know exactly what it is? No. I just know it's revolutionized my life. In my journal, in my texts with my wife, I start identifying areas of my life that need improvement. The first one was, we've got too much stuff. <laughs> the tiny tea sets, the small living, it has meaning. It's, it's deeply moving. It's peaceful. I send a text, let's have a yard sale when I get home. And now there's a table in our living room full of stuff and we're adding to it. We have too much stuff. We don't need this much stuff. If I haven't worn it for a year, it's going out. I don't need all of these books. Someone else can enjoy these books. Less stuff. My wife was thrilled at this part. <laughs> She's a less is more kind of person. And deeper still, I start to think of areas that are hugely personal, and I probably won't share with you those things, but phone calls that should have been made 25 years ago. Difficult conversations that needed to happen. Things I thought I might just have to take to my grave. So this guy, this presence, whatever you want to call it, I feel it strongly. It's clear as a bell. And I hear things like ease her pain. Ease her pain over and over. Release this person to forgive. Make this phone call. Write the letter. It was beautiful, man. I knew it was going to be hard, but whatever was happening to me in China was real. It was real. My wife said, it's like you've had 10 years of therapy happen in a few weeks. And I'm following through. My life has changed for the better because of whatever happened in China. I'm doing things differently. There's a new level of honesty with myself first. With yourself. You've got to be honest with yourself. Vulnerable. A better communication. Uh, because, hey, we're not guaranteed tomorrow on this planet. Not you, not me. Why not make peace while it's called today, right? And that's not at all what I was going to talk about on this episode of the podcast. But, hey, here we are. 
The best part of my business trip to China was whatever happened to me in that deeply introspective state. Maybe that's what the monks are looking for. Maybe it's why I love a long walk in a deep pine forest alone or climb up the side of a mountain so much. It was beautiful. It was real. And my life is better because of whatever it was that happened to me on the other side of the world. And honestly, I feel like that was just the beginning. That's all for this episode of An American in China. I'm Paul Crutcher. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time.